Hello and welcome to the Jesuit Border Podcast. This podcast explores the humanitarian response along the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. My name is Louis Hota. And I'm Brian Strasberger. We're a pair of Jesuit priests missioned to the Diocese of Brownsville, Texas. We're not from the border, but we live here now. This podcast highlights some of the work that the Catholic Church and others are doing to address the needs along the border. The Jesuit Border Podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Let's begin. Vamos! In this episode, we're going to talk about staying in touch, or as we would say in Spanish, seguimos en contacto. We'll be interviewing Astri Dominguez, who is the executive director of Good Neighbor Settlement House, which serves the unhoused of Brownsville and also helps run the Welcome Center for Migrants at the local bus station. Stay tuned for that, but first, let's talk about our own experience of staying in touch with migrants who we've met as they've passed through the border. Yeah, it's a good reminder, you know, that the border is not the final destination for a lot of people. They don't come to the border thinking, okay, I'm going to put my tent up here (laughs) and start my life, you know. And so we're often experiencing transition that people are here for some time. In the past, when people were in the plaza, they were there for months and months. So we were able to develop relationships with them. But never did it feel like, okay, this is where I'm here to stay. They've always got somewhere else in mind. And that's often a topic to bring up in conversation. Where are you headed? Where are you going? What, where's your family? And so we've, we've met people who want to reunite with their family members all over the country, in Miami or in L.A., in New York, Little Rock, Omaha, and even the, the, the holiest of holies, really, the God's blessed people in St. Louis, Missouri. I wish people could see my face right now. <laughs> insufferable, Louis, you're insufferable. But we are talking about his hometown of St. Louis, so we will forgive him for oh. uh, his... Exaggerations You here. could just taste the toasted ravioli, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. Even in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, we've known migrants who have passed on and made that their final destination because they've got family there. So we just want to share a, a great story and experience of ours from this past summer because it's not uncommon that we as Jesuits of this central and southern province make trips to St. Louis. This year in June, that's where our annual ordination mass was held. And so we went there to join with other members of the province. And we took advantage of that as a time to reach out to a friend of ours that we'd met in the plaza named Claudia. Claudia, uh, just a reminder of who she is. She was one of the one of the leaders of the plaza when it was in place. She was really helping to coordinate two kitchens at one time, helping to coordinate the teams and get people get people on their rotation and making sure that so many people were fed during that time. So really an inspiration and kind of a community leader. And uh, she also was known for one thing in particular. She would go around and say, valorame, valorame, like value me, look at me, like uh, show me dignity. That kind of thing is what she's saying. And so we very often sometimes would even just call her Valorame. And there were people in the plaza that didn't even know her name (laughs) and would just call her Valorame as if it was her actual name. And so as a part of our our province presentation, we gave a presentation during this ordination weekend in St. Louis. We said, you know, 
a, a great guest is coming to this ordination this weekend. It's Claudia Valorame from uh, from the plaza, and she's coming to take part in the in the ordination ceremony to be there with all of us to witness it happening. And so, if any of you have time afterwards and want to say hello to her, please welcome her and make her feel comfortable uh, here here at in our world, you know, in our in our little bubble uh, at the Jesuit ordinations. I felt really nervous that day of the ordinations about like I hope. She gets here okay. I hope she finds a place to park. I hope she feels welcome and accepted. You know, the ordination mass is celebrated. It's going to be celebrated almost entirely in English, although we often do maybe a song or two or a reading or two in Spanish. And so I'm kind of like checking my text, trying to be, uh, you know, pending, uh, pending if, if she needs any help or whatnot. And she ends up arriving at the church about 30 minutes late. She's wearing a t-shirt and jeans. I blame myself for maybe not adequately preparing her for the formality of a Jesuit ordination, but she grabbed a seat like right up front. She was taking pictures. I think she live streamed some of it on her Facebook. She was just having a great time. And then at the reception afterwards, she was standing in the corner chatting with Louie and I uh, in this reception hall and kept being struck by people, Jesuits, who would walk up to her and say, Valorame? Valorame? <laughs> And she's she's certainly she's always been somebody who's so disarming, you know, welcoming in her own way. Even even being in St. Louis, being in another country, being in another space, there's something about Claudia that's so electric and inviting and welcoming. And uh, even after the uh, after the ordination, after the event and the reception, she invited us over to her house to be with her family to enjoy some barbecue. Raphael and Edna are good friends who who have gone into the plaza with us, who've accompanied us in this work. They were with us too, so we all went together. It was kind of a reunion of sorts, you know, that and that that I think is what we're getting at here is like there's something about the relationships that can be built, even in a place of transition, that you want to hang on to them. You want to follow up with someone, and you want to know that they're okay, these people that you care about. So it was a real privilege to kind of be with Claudia's family, to to spend that time together, to get to know them, to be welcomed into her world, you know, in the same way that we welcomed her into ours. Yeah, not to mention we ate some great barbecue oh when we were over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's important to remember kind of the total perspective of this. You know, Claudia was a woman from Honduras, and her son had been beaten so severely by a, a local gang that he was hospitalized and threatened against his life, and they had to move to a different hospital, and then undertook this tremendous journey to get to the border, and then were stuck there for months as the border was closed to them and lived in the plaza. And so that that's such a unique and, and difficult experience, and she carries all that with her, and yet wears it with so much joy and gives so much life and energy to her interactions with people. And, and so what a beautiful thing, a, a gift for us that is staying in touch, because it could have been very easy that we shared this experience in the plaza. We knew her as the woman, Valorame, who helped run these kitchens and whatnot, and then she entered the country and ended up in St. Louis. Okay, go with God. But instead, we've stayed in touch with her, and there's regular text communications. She'll send a video or a message. We wish each other happy birthdays and things like that. And that's what created this great opportunity for us when we were in St. Louis to take, take advantage of that time and reach out and say, we're going to be in town. We'd love to connect. And then we both got to be invited into each other's worlds. She came to a Jesuit ordination mass, and we got to go to her family's home where her brother and sister and in-laws and... Uh, 
all, all live with some of their kids and we got to have this great barbecue. And so in some way, we're, we're all foreigners here at the border. You know, we're new to the area, still getting settled here. She was just passing through. And so great way for us to share some deeper part of our lives with one another, which, some, which is some of the grace of us staying in touch. There's something about also, I think, the trial that people experience and, and the trust that they place in us as, as people of faith, as priests. Uh, certainly that impacted our relationship with Claudia, and it's impacted our relationship with so many other migrants, too, whose stories we could tell endlessly for days. And, and one of the greatest parts of that, an unexpected grace of that, is keeping up with people as they've moved on, getting to know how they've settled, getting to know the difficulties of settling in the United States as well. It's, you know, that American dream is not all it's cut out to be all the time. In Mm -hmm. fact, sometimes it's very, very, very difficult for people. And so getting to know that side of it too and accompanying people through those challenges. And one way we've been able to accompany people is by maintaining a WhatsApp group that we started in the plaza. When people were gathering, we would send messages about okay, the Catholic community, we're going to have Mass at this time. Uh, if you could gather for the rosary beforehand, and we would, Raphael especially would send reflections on the gospel during the week. And so it was a great way to kind of maintain our sense of community together, that we're all in this together. We're all, we're all calling upon God to change this situation, to, to hear our prayers. And so uh, that, that community has, has remained intact. We're still on uh, WhatsApp together and sharing the gospel and sharing some messages of good luck and prayers and, and all those things. And so we decided, okay, we're in touch with this Catholic community. The people of faith, they seem to still be drawn to uh, each other and to this experience that we shared. So what are some ways that we can bridge the gaps geographically that now separate us? And that's what gave us the idea to celebrate an online Mass with this community. And so we've had two of these Masses so far, both revolving around days, uh, special days dedicated to migrants and refugees. And the most recent one was in September, and it was a great way to, to see people as they've gone along in this journey, to see them in their home, to see them surrounded by family members who we didn't know before, but, but sometimes they hold up the camera to a family member and say, oh, this is Father Brian and Father Louie. They were with us in the plaza, and, and very often that person's very thankful, very grateful for our, our presence with their family, for being with them in the small way that we were. And so it's a great way to kind of share, you know, even though we can't be there in person to kind of share that life that they have and to share our continued presence and ministry here on the border. So we usually we start with, you know, giving people some time to sign on, to figure out how to download Zoom on their phone if they can or can't, to to figure out what time it is in the place that they are, where they're just sending us messages and say, here's the city I'm in. Like, what time is it at where I am? And after, after all those efforts, you know, we give people some time to log in. Then we'll start with the Mass, which we do together, and get some of the same people who served as lectors when they were in the plaza to turn their microphones on when it's time to do the readings and, and serve as lectors. And then afterwards, we, we usually stay on for like another hour or so, and it's just a time for everyone to kind of check in with one another uh, to say hello, to give an update of where they are and how things are going. Uh, and, and sometimes it, it turns into just a, a reflection on the, the meaning and importance of this community of faith that it had during their time in the plaza and the way that it's continued to feed them in, and strengthen them in their faith going forward. And that, I think, is um, it's, it's definitely one of those things that we didn't expect. 
You know, we didn't expect, I don't think, to to have this be a part of our ministry. I don't know if I ever sat down and thought like, okay, the people that you're ministering to 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 today, when they're gone and say a few months, you're still going to be following up with them and in contact with, and they're going to want to update you on their life, like the birth of a child or some event that's happening in their life or, or listen to my son, he can speak these four sentences in English or, you know, <laughs> just all those, all those things, these, these little moments of blessing and, and very much that's been a privilege of, of our ministry here is, is seeing people as they continue on this journey and, and it makes it it makes it all the more meaningful and uh, that people aren't just passing through, but that that they take the time even to reach out to us to to include us in in their life and and in what's going on with them. There truly is something beautiful about staying in touch. So we hope you enjoy the interview that we have that follows with Astrid Dominguez, Executive Director of the Good Neighbor Settlement House. We are pleased to welcome with us today Astrid Dominguez. She's the executive director of Good Neighbor Settlement House here in Brownsville. It's a nonprofit dedicated to assisting those in Brownsville with meals, with clothing, with showers and support services. But they also run the Migrant Welcome Center across the street from the local bus station with other partner organizations. So we're very pleased to have you with us today, Astrid. Thank you for having me. Maybe you could start just telling us a little bit about uh, what brought you to this job. It's kind of new to you. And so tell us a little bit about your journey and how you how you got involved here in Brownsville with this project and your work with migrants. Thank you. Um, I am a first-generation immigrant. And, um, you know, as I grew up, I was privileged. I'm still privileged. And realizing the needs and the struggles that a lot of migrants go through was eye-opening, right? Um, I didn't experience, I didn't have that same experience that many. And it was when I was in college. And uh, because of my dad's job, um, you know, I would spend the summers there. And he would invite me to go and uh, visit migrants that had been detained. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to go, right? It's like 5 a.m., of course, like, you know, it's the summer. So one day I went, and I realized that migrants um, that were going to be sent back to Mexico, these were all Mexican migrants, had crossed, um, you know, in between ports. And um, they were all in this giant cage. And I was shocked. I was like, why are they there? And I was like, well, you know, they're being interviewed. Like, well, yeah, but why are they in a cage? And I think that sh- that really was a turning moment for me, kind of a realizing what I really wanted to do. And since then, um, you know, through that, my trajectory, I had focused on immigration and border issues. You know, I had known Good Neighbor through the migrant, you know, um, effort and um, program. But then understanding everything they did and everything we do, which is serving the unsheltered community. Um, You know, I've fought for social justice my entire career, and I thought it would be great to join this effort, this amazing organization, um, and continue to do that, 
you know, at my hometown. So this is how I ended up a good neighbor. It has been five months, not that I'm counting. <laughs> but, um, you know, both seeing firsthand what the staff does, you know, good neighbor settlement house um, offers um, support to the unsheltered community as well as the migrants that are arriving. We're a soup kitchen. We have a shower program, client services program. Those who are unsheltered that need support with their IDs or birth certificates um, or other matters. Um, you know, we're there to help. So the work that we do and the mission of Good Neighbor, it's just one that it's aligned with my values and, you know, the community that we want to create and see in Brownsville and that, you know, support to our community and those who need it the most. And it, it's a bit of a shift for you, your work on the RGB Welcome Committee. A lot of that was helping with different types of advocacy efforts and analysis. And, and of course, you were involved with people on the ground. But here, you know, at, at Good Neighbor, you're there. You know, your <laughs> office is there. You're on the ground. So do you feel that shift a bit, you know, maybe a little more? And especially with the, the lifting of policies for the pandemic, too, I'm sure it's a little more one-on-one -on -one work than before. Yes. You know, I do see it. It is definitely a, a different, um, it's a different focus from what I had been doing in the past. I'm not as involved. You know, we have a great, terrific team on our, on our migrant welcome center that is there every day, right? And that are now the ones even getting on the policy part. So I am now, my capacity is now to give them support and provide, you know, bring my expertise um, and, you know, advice to how to deal with, you know, the challenges. And of course, you know, like when I'm needed there, you know, I'm present. Um, but then, you know, there's other programs to run and um, other issues to tackle. You talk about the Migrant Welcome Center as one part of the work of Good Neighbor I uh, wonder if you could kind of paint the picture for what that looked like. Uh, you know, some of our listeners will be familiar with the Humanitarian Respite Center because we've shared some stories about our experiences there and had some people come on an interview in McAllen, Texas, which is uh, about an hour away from where we are here in Brownsville. But maybe you could talk a little bit about the Migrant Resource Center and maybe paint a picture for what's what looks like, especially right now. You know, things are constantly evolving here on the border, but uh, when we're recording this, there's a lot of activity happening there. So maybe you could share a little bit of that. Of course. So the Migrant Welcome Center came to happen, or or migrant programs. So Good Neighbor Settlement House had always provided support to the migrants. For example, during 2018, we opened our doors um, to the migrant population. So we're not an overnight shelter. We're a day shelter. And migrants were being housed there. Um, back in 2018, the Border Patrol would drop them off in the middle of the night or like late at night, and they had nowhere to go. So Good Neighbor opened its doors to house the migrants back then. So that was new for us because we, we weren't doing that or we hadn't done that. But fast forward um, to 2022, of course, COVID happened too. So that was a challenge as well, right? We can provide the same services or the same in the same way. Um, so that shifted. Um, but the city of Brownsville has, who's been a great partner and ally in receiving and welcoming the migrants here in Brownsville, um, you know, stepped up to help the migrants who are arriving and are being dropped off. So the city of Brownsville is the one that coordinates with um, the agencies, in this case, CBP, Border Patrol specifically. And um, the city helps them kind of like to get in touch with their family members, um, to find a bus or a plane ticket, 
And Good Neighbor is providing the humanitarian support. So the meals, hygiene kits with, you know, toothpaste, a toothbrush, um, snacks for the road, and then just general information. Um, so we're right across the bus station. So after the city, you know, um, talks to them initially, then they send them to our welcome center. And then we talk to them, give them a brief um, introduction of where they are. Sometimes they don't know they've been released and they still think like, oh, you know, which detention center is this? Like, you're free, right? Welcome to the U.S. And some start clapping, some start crying or realizing like, oh, um, I'm no longer detained, right? So it's, you know, for us, it's that opportunity to welcome them and, and, and treat them with the respect and dignity they deserve. And then, of course, providing the, the humanitarian support we can. Then they go back to the city and kind of finish the process till they can, you know, get on a bus and depart the same day if needed. Or if not, you know, go to a shelter. I think that's such a good reminder of, of how these these small details are so important. You know, where are you in the United yes. States? You know, that is a critical thing to know. And where are you going and do you have the supplies you need? Do you have a hygiene kit? Do you have food? And I think, you know, that's just something we've learned along the way is like these very small things end up becoming so critical for someone who really doesn't have that much, doesn't have the resources or the knowledge sometimes of where they are, and then doesn't have the material needs. So to hear about the work that you all are doing, it's just, it's just a great reminder that like how critical it is to be present, to be focused on people, and to understand the situation, even in just a very basic way. You know, so many of the volunteers that come down here and, and work, they might not understand everything about policy or advocacy or, or any of that, but they can understand that this person is in critical need of, of some information or some help. So I think that's just one thing we've been learning along the way, and something that's so critical is like, what do people really need and how do we best meet those needs? And I, th I think that's, that's what we're trying to push for a lot is like getting people to understand that, just how, how the needs are great here, but the resources really are limited. just simple and limited. Uh, and I wonder, you know, when you think about your work and all your knowledge and experience here on the border, what is, what is something that you think is just so critical that people just need to understand about about migration or about living here on the border? What's that like one takeaway that you're like, if everybody kind of got this, then maybe we'd be having a different discussion? Immigration is so complex, right? It's not breaking down like the law or what it is, what it isn't. Um, you know, immigration reform definitely needs to happen. Um, and I'm speaking, you know, as Astrid and not as good neighbor settlement house, but um, something critical, people don't understand the border region. People don't understand um, our region um, that, you know, we're one. I, for example, grew up on the Mexican side, um, even though I was born here in the U.S. So I've always said I have the best of both worlds. But again, it goes back to my privilege of being able to go back and forth and recognizing that not everybody has that. Um, Therefore, you know, limited access. So people come here to the, you know, arrive at the border for a reason. And they're fleeing whether, you know, they're fleeing for their lives um, for an economic reason to give their kids an opportunity. Um, but all are legitimate reasons. And 
we have a system in place that, you know, for those who are seeking asylum can seek asylum. And we have put some barriers in place that don't allow them to access that in a humane way, in an efficient way, in a way that doesn't put their life in danger. So when I hear like, well, the you know, borders open. It's like, why do we have so many people then on the Mexican side waiting? How, why do we have so many people being expelled? Um, you know, why do we continue to have policies like Title 42? So it's, it's not open. Um, but there are policies in place that are preventing people from accessing the asylum system. Um, and it's not safe. For them, and they they are putting their lives in danger either by trying to cross, or you know by the government expelling them, and then them going back to Mexico, which is not a safe place. You know, not for not for citizens, much less for migrants. Yeah, immigration is so complex. I, I feel like the longer I'm here, and we haven't been there that long, just over a year. But it's like every day or every week, I feel like I'm learning something new, some more complexities about laws and policies and then how they're put into practice. And, and just to think about and see how these decisions that are being made and oftentimes in, in national capitals hundreds of miles away or, or, or further, you know, the impact they're having on the day-to-day life of, of people, of migrants, of people who are in, in transit or who are here and kind of caught in some sort of limbo and unsure of if uh, a change is going to come in the next few months. I mean, geez, just in a little over a year, we've seen so many even developments and changes as new policies get put into place or something goes to the court and then has to be reinstated temporarily and then gets lifted later. So, you know, it can just be such a mess. But at the end of the day, part of what we like to do with this podcast and, and, and otherwise is to share some stories, too, because the way that that can kind of humanize this experience that otherwise gets so complex and caught up. So I wonder if your work with migrants, if there are any any stories that come to mind or that stick out to you uh, even recently in your work that you're doing that you, you'd want to share with us. Um, you know, I think that experiencing or seeing migrants at our welcome center and how, you know, as they walk in, to just welcome them and say, you know, welcome, you're in Brownsville and you're no longer detained. Welcome to the U.S. And just, you know, seeing their expression, their, you know, just gratitude, right? Um, it's something that helps you keep going. You know, at times this, this, this humanitarian work is... It's challenging. It 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 at times it it and it weighs on you. It it it's a lot because the need is there, and you just want to help, help, help the best way you can. Um, but you know, we've had in the past, we've had families, women who've been pregnant that eventually call us and say, "Hey, I had my baby, and I just want to share a picture of you." Um, or others that you know, at one point you help, and then they just text you to say, hey, I'm okay. I just wanted you to know. I, I think for me that has been, you know, it, it, I just feel gratitude. And uh, it teaches me also, it, it's a lesson for me. Um, the fact that somebody's thinking of me and and saying like, um, you know, let me text them to say I'm okay. Um, 
we made a difference in someone's lives. I think that's something that I, I just, I don't have the words to describe the feeling. And it's not about me, right? It's not like, oh, great, I'm doing this because I want to feel better. But it's, it's the difference you have in someone's lives. You really don't, at, at times you don't have the, you don't think about it really until like you're getting that text and say like, oh, wow, I really, you know, this one action really made an impact in someone's and for the good of course um and you know it's just what keeps you going and motivated and like you know this this is my call yeah that's I mean that's such a good such a good way of framing it because it is it's more than a job you know <laughs> it's more than a job it's more than just like clock in clock out and it's it's definitely something that that takes your emotion, takes your intelligence. It takes it takes everything, you know. It, and and it can be easy to get really tired in that. And sometimes I think at my worst or at our worst, I think we could say is is you just kind of see like a bunch of faces moving by and don't even really get to encounter them or acknowledge them just because there's so much you know mm-hmm. going on. But it's so critical to have that those one-on-one moments too, or even just a follow-up text like you're saying to. To remind you, like, okay, this is very personal. You know, yeah. this is a real, a real person with a real story, with real experience, and I, I think that's so critical to stay connected to that. Because if you're not connected to that, then it's just like any other job. But I, and I'm wondering, you know, within that, uh, what maybe there is a person that you can think of. You know, is there a person that you could think of that that helps as that reminder? You know, an experience or a story that you have with one individual that, that you want to hold up that helps to helps helps to remind you just just how important these stories are. Once I became a mother, I think I gained a different perspective. Um, when I have a parent approaching, I just I think of, you know, my own child and the importance of giving them that chance. Um, and, you know, I've seen families throughout the years and, um, you know, pregnant women too when I think they are the ones that, you know, have a special place in my heart. It's like bringing new life to the world um, and their resilience, right? Thinking of you did this journey all the way from wherever you came from, um, you know, think about it, like, you know, whether you came from Venezuela or Central America Colombia. Um, I did, though, now that you went, I'm thinking there was this one family from Haiti. It was a family of four or five, I think five. And um, on the way, they just went through so much. And there was one, the the oldest sister, they were all adults, but the older sister um, was a primary caregiver of three of the siblings that you know, had um, the, there was an accident on the way, you know, coming to, to Mexico and um, they, you know, they needed serious medical attention. And the sister herself had gone through a big tragedy, losing her husband on the way and herself having a child as well. And I was just in awe thinking of she was just fighting you know, to help her siblings while at the same time grieving herself, right, and having to, you know, having to be strong for all of them. 
And, you know, I, 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 she sends me text often, you know, kind of keeping in touch. Um, and it's, you know, I just think like, I remember I was sitting there thinking like, oh my God, she hasn't even had the time to mourn her husband because she has to look after her siblings. Um, and that really is, you know, it's just one among many stories, right? That's like the story of many of the migrants that arrived through the border. And, you know, the desperation, but also their faith. They know, you know, they, they're that hope that they come, they're at, at the border with, that it doesn't, they don't, you know, it doesn't leave them. Um, that, you know, it, it, that specific family, I worked with them for, for some time, and it was, it, yeah, like it was gratifying when they were finally able, you know, to get to their final destination, knowing that we were able to reunite them with their family after years um, with their parents, um, and the mom called me, the mother who hadn't seen them, I think, in over 10 years, um, to thank me. And I broke down. I remember that time I was like, you know, you just are so caught up in, like, kind of the work you're doing. Um, yeah. It is really, I mean, it is really amazing. I think many of many of the people that we encounter, it's almost like they have this this feeling of, like, a thread kind of that they're just following. And I, I think, you know, so much of my own life uh, with my own faith is relying on the examples of others to, to, you know, kind of form that thread or to show me where to go. So I'm wondering, you know, in your own life, are there people that you look to? Is there anyone that you look to as kind of the example of, of someone that you, you follow, whether it's a personal person or, or a saint or whoever, somebody that, that you think of when you think of the life that you want to lead, that's the person that you you see as an example? I think the one, my mother, my mother, the women in my family, my grandmother, on both, on both sides, they've been strong women. And, you know, I think, you know, as growing up in a, in a Mexican household, right, it, you know, we all, we hear like, ah, and machismo and this and that. But, um, uh, you know, I think my mother always wanted me to grow in my own independent and unique way. And, um, you know, seeing the women in my family, um, they're, you know, they're very Catholic too. Um, and while, you know, we don't agree on certain issues all the time, um, but, you know, their resilience, their strength. Um, and, you know, I, I think often of like Virgin Mary, right? Like she was silent presence. She was there all the time. And how she kept, you know, I remember that passage, like she kept everything in her heart. You know, that's like what a mom does, right? Like a mother that's good or bad, you're there. Now I'm a, as a mother, I'm like, oh, I totally get this. Mm -hmm. You know, how you're present, you're there, you're taking it all in, keeping it in your heart, and being there for your child, no matter what. And, you know, that that's a source of inspiration, um, strength, because when I feel weak, it's like I, you know, I go to my mother. Um, and, you know, now my daughter, who is almost four, and she's a force of nature. And just a couple of days ago, I was like a little under the weather, and she saw me. And she was like, Mommy, a veces hay días un poco difíciles. 
pero va a estar bien. So there's some days that are harder, but you know, we'll be fine. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, it's just like I started to cry. I was like, oh my God, you know, you, you're so wise. <laughs> At four years old, I know kids are receptive, um, but, you know, it's just like, good. You know, you can be vulnerable and strong at the same time. You can. And, you know, as a mom, especially as a mom of a, of a little girl, I do want her to see all of that in this world and have, you know, an example. Um, if I don't become her role model, that's fine. But knowing, at least me knowing that I can be there for her, just like my mother, my grandmother, and my aunts, my support network is always there for me. So some amazing people and some great, great images there, including the wisdom of a four-year-old. Sometimes it's it's the least among us uh, who are the wisest, you know, who have the, the insights that we need. Well, Astrid, thank you for joining us on the Judge Reporter podcast. Thanks for sharing your dreams and your wisdom, your experience, and for being an inspiration to us. You've really helped us a lot just in our own time here in the Valley through your work with the Welcoming Committee and just your presence here as a, as a force of nature, really. And it's great. It's so good to have you as that example and 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 to, to be following your lead on so many things. So so thank you for joining us today, and, and uh, we hope to see you see you around the Valley as our work continues. We're expect, especially excited to hear that next year is a 70-year anniversary for Good Neighbor Settlement House. I mean, you've got to do something big for 70 years. So uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you know Louis often offers himself for hire for DJing events <laughs> or oh, yeah. providing concerts. Perfect karaoke. And so... Wait, oh, great. Okay, music taken care of. Perfect check. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just include a little bit of me singing at the end of this this podcast. He's got a great yeah. macarena. <laughs> a great macarena. <laughs> Louis Ryan, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, that's our episode for this week. We're grateful to Astrid Dominguez for joining us. This podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to hear more about the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. We'll see you next week on the Jesuit Border Podcast. Nos vemos!